Hey, good evening, guys. Uh, it's good to be back with you. It's been a while, I know. Uh, man, we have just come back from an incredible time being with uh, uh, the Peterson Outdoor Ministries up in Joplin, Missouri area. And uh, we had, um, I think, a total of uh, 10 of our of our uh, wounded soldiers and, and veterans, uh, two of which were from Canada. Um, we had three blind soldiers on a deer hunt. <clears throat> that was a that was a very taskful event. Um, actually, one of our gentlemen was uh, had ALS and um, actually shot his deer. Uh, he triggered his rifle using his own breath. That was a pretty cool pretty cool deal to to take in. Had an incredible time, just a beautiful time. Um, I actually preached a message there on Sunday morning. I was able to preach and and uh, had a great time with that. The I intended to record that message and and where I could email it out to to the people that I email to my followers, I guess, and uh, it did not work. My um, my button triggered somewhere when I put it in my pocket. So I thought, well, you know what? I'll take advantage of doing a live for you, and I'll just re-preach that message. Um, we had a, we had some incredible speakers while we were there. Um, Luke Hochaver, uh, who was the the 2015 winning pitcher game five winning pitcher of the kansas city royals for the the uh, 2015 world series uh, luke's become a good friend of ours he works closely with peterson outdoor ministries and um, was there to speak on friday night it was really interesting to see that luke pretty much um he told his story um you know i've seen a lot of celebrities minister i've seen a lot of celebrities preach in my time and a lot of times they spend a lot of time talking about themselves and who they are and who they've become and who God's blessed them to be. But Luke actually told kind of the opposite side of the story. He talked about his life and how difficult of a time it was and the challenges that he faced, um, knowing that only God's the one that brought him to where he was in baseball. Um, and that, that even in the, uh, as he had to retire due to some injury, um, just couldn't get the strength back where he needed it. Um, even in that, knowing that God was in control of his life. So it was such a unique story uh, because to some, you know, his story might have looked like a failure, but, but in God's eyes and in Luke's eyes, it was a win-win uh, all the way around. And Luke's still involved with us, had a great time with him. Luke has a tendency to steal my, my messages. I email stuff to him, and, and he, uh, he mentioned it a couple of times, some of the points that I make. And so I, I know he's taking my stuff, you know, and he's using it out there against me. Uh, actually not against me, but he's doing really good with it. But um, you know, I got to thinking about that, and I've I've met a few I've met a few ball players, uh, professional ball players, and the speaker we had on Saturday night, he too was a ball player. He was a chaplain for Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. A uh, really tall guy. Luke's a really tall guy, and I thought, well, you know, after listening to both of them speak, it, it kind of confirmed in my spirit the things I've seemed to have known a long time. Pitchers are weird. They're just weird people. <laughs> and, and and you know I, even though Luke's career ended and and um, the the chaplain Rondon that was speaking there on Saturday night his career ended in baseball as well well I had to I got to thinking back and thought you know what I, I my professional baseball career ended as well I mean, it ended earlier than I would have liked it to you know Luke I mean he at least got a ring and got to pitch in a World Series game and uh, Chaplain Rondon, he got to do quite a bit of pitching in baseball, and and it's what got him into the U.S. and things. And I got to thinking about, well, mine, my professional baseball career ended kind of early too, but mine ended at Little League, so you can take that for whatever it's worth. Well, I'm going to get into something with you. It's going to take me a little bit because this is kind of a, it's kind of a big message. Um, 
but I, I, I want you to stay with me if you can, and, and um, I'll see if I can get through it as quickly as I can. But the, the message title that I, that I want to bring to you is called, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, I heard a, a message from Ron Luce, he was, who is the founder and director of Acquire the Fire. Um, he was talking about the night that he got a phone call, that when he answered that call, the voice on the other end said, Mr. Luce, I have your daughter here with me, and she's okay. His daughter had been on a plane with four other ATF leaders going to set up an event when their plane crashed somewhere in Kansas. Ron's daughter was the only survivor of that crash. He was speaking on the subject of it being easy to be a Christian when things are going well. But what about when things are tough? It seems that, it, that for us today, it's, it's easy to cry out to God when things are not going well. Um, we spend a lot of time seeking his hand or his handout. And maybe some of you have been where I've been, that the life issue has overtaken you, and, 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 and it would appear that God is nowhere to be found. You ever found yourself in that place? And, and I've referenced this before in several messages um, that I've done, that, that, that so many times we spend so much time seeking God's handout. You know, God, I'm in trouble. God, I need this. I need a financial miracle. God, I'm physically sick. I need you to touch my body. I need this. I need that. I need this. I need that. And we find that real frequently that that's easy for us to find ourselves in, in seeking God, but it's always for something we need. Um, what about, you know, where is God when times get tough? Where, where, you know, where is he? Where, where was he in some of the instances? I want to share another story with you. The stories of a 13 year old boy. Um, it starts off when he's a little bit younger. Uh, his dad had a passion and a dream to live in Colorado and uh, they moved off to Colorado. His dad was a union pipe fitter and plumber, and they kind of flip-flopped around in two or three different places, and they wound up buying some property over on the western slope, over near Grand Junction, Colburn, Colorado to be exact, uh, which is right on the bottom of Grand Mesa. Um, so this young man and his dad spent a lot of time on the mountains. They spent a lot of time fishing and hunting, and that was their life. They were growing up on a farm and um, just chasing the wildlife, chasing the dream of being outside and being, uh, being there with his father and, his, and having a great time. Well, because of work, his dad was working 150 miles away from home at a, at a town called Craig, Colorado. Some of you there might be familiar with that. And they were installing a, a steam generating plant in Craig. So he would go up on Monday mornings really early, and then he would get home really late on Friday nights. And, and you know, it was just, that was life. That's how we were dealing with it for the time. And uh, I had an op the, 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 the young man had an opportunity to take a bus ride. He was out of school a couple of days of the week, so he took a bus ride up on Wednesday to be with his dad for a couple of days in Craig and then come home with him. And uh, they, they got off the bus and, and went to his dad's favorite little place to eat, a little taco shop, and um, did their thing Wednesday night. And on Thursday, his dad went off to work, and he was renting a, house, a room from a, a gentleman there in Craig. And so the young boy was staying there at home. He's just in there watching TV. About 10 o'clock in the morning, his dad comes home. Well, it was kind of odd, you know. He's supposed to be at work, and it was snowing really hard that day. And um, his dad told him, he said, well, they shut the plant down, sent everybody home. Well, you know, Colorado, it, it snows there all the time. It doesn't shut things down because of snow. But for whatever reason, he was off work for the day. Well, it was really cool. So they got to spend the entire afternoon together. They goofed around, went and ate lunch, and they went and picked up a basketball and some needles to air it up with and had plans, you know, they were going to plan to eat their, at their favorite place, a little taco shop, and then go right next door to, to an armory, um, a youth building, 
and spend some time in there shooting hoops. So they did just that. They went and ate and they went to the armory. They'd been in the armory for quite a while and playing basketball, just running around shooting hoops, you know, carrying on. There was a lot of people in there. A little young man heard something. He turned around. His dad was laying on the floor. A couple of other young men came and started doing CPR. Um, before long, the the, little, the lady that owned the taco shop who came over to see what was going on wound up being her sons who were actually doing the CPR on this man. She met the young boy and realized what was going on, so she shut her shop down, her, her store, her restaurant, and actually carried this young man to the hospital where the doctor came in and told him, I'm sorry, but he's not going to make it. He's, he's, he didn't make it. So here's this young man. He's 13 years old. He's 150 miles away from home. He doesn't know anybody. He barely knows the man that his dad's living with and renting a room from. Certainly doesn't know the lady at the taco shop other than they've ate dinner there twice. She winds up taking him to her house. Um, because of the, the acquaintance that she had with my dad, she knew that he went to a, a church there in, in Craig. So she called the pastor of that church. Pastor came uh, and he picked up the young man and took him over to his house so that his own pastor and, and guys could come and pick him up. Um, I was that young man. I was that 13-year-old boy who watched my father pass away on the floor of a basketball court. Um, I had some anger issues with that. I was um, really struggling. My dad was a, a deacon in the church, and uh, I'd been raised in church. I'd been raised with a good family and a good home. I guess what you could say, normal, if we know what normal is anymore, um, that I had a mom and a dad, and I had a, a quality home life. And, and I did not understand how a God as such as he is, could take my dad from me. And it took me many years to come through that. And, and I can tell you that I might not necessarily understand things today, but I see them a lot differently. Ron goes ahead with another story. I want to share that with you. His story, this is a, a story of Horatio Gates Spafford and his wife, Elizabeth. Um, Horatio is the son of an author. Um, him and Elizabeth Clark were, were uh married and lived and had some children they lived in uh, chicago and this is all the way back into 1861 the spaffords were well known in the 1860s in chicago he, he was a prominent lawyer a senior partner in a large and thriving law firm he and his wife were also prominent supporters of close friends of evangelist dwight l moody a series of family tragedies began in 1870 when their son died from scarlet fever at the age of four Spafford invested in real estate north of the expanding Chicago in the spring of 1871. And then when the Great Fire of Chicago reduced the city to ashes in October of that same year, it also destroyed most of Spafford's sizable investment. Two years, um, two years later in 1873, Spafford decided that his family should, should take a holiday somewhere um, in Europe, and he chose England. And knowing that his friend D.L. Moody would be preaching there in the fall, so that decided that would be where they went. He was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead, his wife and their four daughters, um, seven-year-old Tanetta, nine-year-old Elizabeth Bessie, five-year-old Margaret Lee, and two-year-old Anna, who they called Annie. On the 15th of November of 1873, the Villa de Harve sailed from New York with 313 passengers and the crew on board under the command of Captain Mariano Cermonte. After a week steaming across the Atlantic Ocean, she collided with the Iron Clipper Lock Urn at about 2 a.m. in the morning on Saturday, the 22nd of November. At the same time of the collision, the Villa de Harve was proceeding under both steam and sail at about 12 knots, so they were moving along pretty well. 
The captain of the Loch Earn, after first sighting the Ville de Harve and realizing she was dangerously close, rang the ship's bell and ported his helm. The helm of the Loch Earn was, was put to the starboard, but Villa de Harve came right across the Loch Earn's bow. The Villa de Harve was violently shaken by the collision and noise and woke most of the passengers. Confused, most passengers went on deck, only to discover that the ship was rapidly sinking. The captain assured them that all was fine, but in reality the cruiser had been nearly broken in two. And it didn't take long for the passengers to realize the situation was very desperate. Commotion and chaos overtook uh, panicked passengers. They started grabbing life preservers and trying to push lifeboats into the water. Unfortunately, these had recently been painted and they were stuck to the deck. Finally, a few of them were, were yanked loose. Passengers fought desperately to be the one of the few travelers to board those rescue boats. Shortly after the collision, the Ville de Har's main and mizen masts collapsed, smashing two of the liner's lifeboats and killing several people. The time for saving life was very short as the ship sank in less than 12 minutes and finally broke into two pieces as she went. Captain Robertson of the Loch Erm did all, po all he could possibly do to rescue the drowning, and eventually 61 passengers and 26 of the crew were rescued and taken on board. However, 226 passengers and crew perished. The Loch Erm herself, in danger of sinking, was subsequently rescued by the American cargo ship, the Trey Mountain, and all the Villa de Harve passengers and crew were transferred to that ship. The Loch Erm, with its bow smashed in, commenced to sink as the bulkheads gave way and she was abandoned at sea by her crew and sank shortly afterwards. Now, although Horatio Spafford was not a passenger on board the Ville de Harve, his wife Anna and, and their four daughters were, at the last moment Horatio was, was detained by real estate business, so Anna and the girls had went on ahead to Paris. After the collision, a fellow survivor, Pastor Weiss, called Anna saying, recalled Anna saying, God gave me four daughters, now they have been taken away from me. Someday I will understand why. Anna was picked up unconscious floating on a plank of wood by the crew of the Loch Earn. Nine days after the shipwreck, Anna landed in Cardiff, Wales and cabled Horatio. Saved alone, what shall I do? After receiving Anna's telegram, Horatio immediately left Chicago to bring his wife home. On the Atlantic crossing, the captain of his ship called Horatio to his cabin to tell him that they were passing over the spot where his four daughters had perished. He wrote to Rachel, his wife's half-sister, on Thursday last we passed over the spot where she went down. In mid-ocean, the water's three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there, for they are folded safe in the arms, just like lambs. Horatio later wrote the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, commemorating his daughters. The original manuscript was only four verses, but Spafford's daughters... Um, Later, it had been it had been remodeled and kind of rebuilt a little bit. But I want to share with you just a couple of these real quick. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. For me be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live, 
if Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. I have to imagine that Horatio and his wife Anna were not much different than we are. They were human too. And I can only imagine now how likely they questioned God. You know, that question that we all head to, why? But look at the trust and the faith they expose in their lives with the things that they say. I mean, can you imagine? You're, you're on a ship. It's, it's, there's no cell phones. There's, there's no landlines. There's no radio equipment. And it took her nine days Nine days of grieving on her own before she could even cable her husband to tell him what had happened and that their good daughters had been lost. And then it took however long it took him to ship all the way across to catch up with her in England before he could be there to comfort her. I mean, you have to wonder why. I'm not a songwriter, and I certainly didn't feel that all was well with my soul when my father passed away that day. But I can tell you what I do know. My God never left me. He, he never turned his back on me. He had a plan for me that I just didn't understand at the time. I can look back now on that time, and, I, and I'll tell you, I still don't understand all the reasons why that God allowed my father to pass at that time in my life. But I can look back from where I am today and see that path all the way back to that moment in Craig, Colorado, as a 13-year-old young man, and I can see his hand in my life from that point on. I honestly can't tell you I know, I don't know where I would be had that not happened in my life at the age of 13. I have to wonder if I would even be where I am today without that event taking place, without God allowing that to take place in my life. I, again, it's something I still don't understand. I don't understand lots of things that I see in this world today. I don't understand death. I don't understand cancer. I don't understand a lot of the things that we see and, you know, the, the loss of a young one, the loss of a baby. But I do know that, that I can trust God. No matter where you stand today, no matter what you're going through or what you've gone through, consider this. God's not punishing you. You don't go through trials of life as punishment. Uh, just because you've maybe been where you shouldn't have been or done things you shouldn't have done, God doesn't punish you. Now, you may take yourself out from under his covering, and he may allow something to happen in your life, but I assure you God is still in control. There, there's not a time that God is not in control. It's not your fault for the things that you've gone through. And most importantly, I want you to understand one thing. You're not alone. You're not alone with the things that you go through. There will always be consequences for our actions, good or bad. And we must always walk through the trials that come with the path that we chose to walk. But know that God doesn't cause trials in our life. He simply allows it. We must find a place in our personal relationship with him that we trust him with our lives and with the lives of those around us. We need to live as he lived, sharing our faith and trust with everyone we encounter. I want to ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today? Is it well with your soul? John 14, 6 says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Throughout this entire weekend of ministry to our, our veterans, 
there was just this general theme of stories. Luke told a story. Our buddy Dustin Morrison was there. Uh, Dustin's on our DVD and a very good friend of ours. And um, who he was a, a participant in, in Peterson Outdoor Ministry several years ago. And we've become very close and very tight with Dustin. And Dustin shared his testimony of how, how God saved him on Easter after him blowing up with a 400-pound IED in Iraq, Afghanistan. All the stories had the same ending. No matter the calamity, no matter the, the, the trial or the struggle that came in life, every story that was told this weekend had the same ending. And each one of the ones that told their story can tell you today, it is well with their soul. I can tell you today that it is well with my soul. As all these stories came about, and I think I picked this sermon out the moment the moment I was asked to preach this Sunday, and it's, it's been over a month ago when they told me I was going to preach this Sunday, and I immediately picked this sermon. I knew exactly what I wanted to share, and it's so cool that God put all these stories together just for this weekend, and he's putting it all together just for you right now. Jesus is our only hope. If you're not in relationship with him, if, if you're not in relationship with him, I, I really, I, I, wanna, I want you to change that status. We all have a story. The coolest part is, is that we can choose how our story ends. See, it's, it's not too late to rewrite the last chapter or two of your story. You can still make it well with your soul. And I encourage you tonight. No matter, no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter, no matter the challenges you've faced in life, I'm going to ask you to put your trust in Christ. I'm going to ask you to, to put your faith forward and to begin to follow Him. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. And I can tell you this. God has a plan for your life even today, even after the trials, even after the struggles, even after the challenges. Being a, being a follower of Christ doesn't mean trials end. I still face them. I could tell you story after story after story. Some of them are not pretty. But for whatever reason, God has chose me to walk this life out in this fashion. I want to share my life with you. I want to share more than just my trial and my struggle. I want to share with you how I overcame those trials and struggles. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we overcome him, our enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. That, that blood of the Lamb represents our surrendering our life to Christ, our, our dying to ourself and being raised with him in life after. But we overcome the enemy by the, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Your story can help someone else. I challenge you tonight to get your life in order. Don't wait any longer. Put your first foot forward and get busy with the things that God has for you. God bless you guys. I appreciate you letting me take a little bit of extra time. I know I tried to hurry through this. I hope it has some meaning for you. Um, and I'll just throw it out there. Luke, you're going to get this message. I love you, buddy. I hope maybe there's something in this one that you can use as well. God bless you guys. Have a great evening. Uh, we'll be back with you soon.